Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's um, Thursday, I mean Wednesday afternoon. Uh, again, it's through Chag, and I'm going to do the try to do the Parsha. I'm sorry to have Torah podcast, which I promised to do. The reason I'm doing it all today is um, because a very unusual situation, a sad one actually. Uh, this is being sponsored by Yehuda Tannen, who's a student of mine a couple years ago when I was teaching high school, uh, which I'm not anymore. And um, Yehud is, is a second-year pre-med student at Landers. Uh, so no, and he's in the Shear Rabbi Sachs over there. That's a Shear. So anyway, um, I want to say that he's doing this. Uh, Lezecher Nishmas, a friend, uh, Gavi uh, Rosenblum, who who, uh, who had a terrible car accident and was killed a couple years ago. I thought it was in Chalamoid, but he says today, Yehuda says today is the uh, yard site, so I'll take his word. And uh, I was close uh, with both, with, especially with Gavi. I've mentioned him before. This is not the first time someone is sponsored in his um, in his memory in his yard site. And it's interesting. Now, this, uh, this is being sponsored by a, a, a second-year pre-med. What's that, 20, 21-year-old guy? You know, think about that. Um, and I'm reading you what he sent me that uh, Gavi's Hebrew name is Gavriel Mordechai Ben Ephraim Yishorin, right, Effie. And he says, uh, and I respect this, I'm not totally sure how to write one of those memorial things I hear you read at the beginning of your podcast, but I guess Simcha's Torah and seeing people dance and go a little wild reminded me of Gavi's huge smile and like the crazy energy he always brought to everything he did, which if I had to guess is probably something most of his friends remember him for. Uh, that's that's really true. He sparked a memory of my own. Today's the day after Sukkot, and my Sukkot's a big monstrosity, so um, it's always a question every year how to put it up and how to take it down. It's beyond my capabilities anymore. And um, and this year, by the way, I want to give a shout-out to Chaim Abramson. He actually arranged it. That was a very big mitzvah. But a number of years ago, and not that long ago, unfortunately... Gavi and all these guys, they, they were in high school not really that long ago. Five, six years ago, whatever it is, I don't know. And before the corona. And um, I remember that he ha- he brought a bunch of high school kids to put the Gavi, you know, he was always in charge of things. That they uh, put Sukkot's up, they put mine up. Uh, and then the kids were like a no-show to, to, t- to, take, to put it down, you know, take it apart. Which again is, is not uncommon in high schools. And I remember he's like 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 Yehuda Tannen is saying today, you know, he brought a crazy energy. He went and took the whole doggone thing out himself. He picked up the I can't believe it. Picked up all these giant the uh, walls and wood and this and that and the other. And he mama schlepped the whole thing like like uh, the the Avonim in Egypt, uh, which he did, you know, out of, out of affection. And I feel yeah, even then I couldn't pay him properly, you know. Meaning, how do you say thanks for something like that? And. Uh, 
but we used to learn it at nighttime together. I had spoken about him in the past. And it's just very sad to contemplate that he's no longer here. So I do thank Yehuda. Um, it's especially significant when someone who's your classmate, especially a young fellow just in uh, in college, he's in Landers and Yeshiva there, wants to do this on his own. So uh, we have a lot of uh, noble sponsors here in this podcast, and I don't mean to be funny when I say that. And now let's get down to business, as Gavi would want. Um, actually, it's really sad because today's Haftar, which is Bracious, is something I'll bet you 99% of people skip by because you wipe, wiped out for Yantif. You already went through a whole bunch of, uh, you know, lanings and this and that. And now you're back to regular, ah, uh, normal times. And this Shabbos is going to be just a regular Shabbos. No Ludovic Hashemori, no uh, Yalaviyavu, no Halel, and so forth. Just a regular davening. People say, oh, good, you know. No Zacharin Al-Chaim, you know, the whole extra stuff. It was fun while it lasted, but now you're back to regular. There's something about the winter that does that. And uh, I bet you people will, many people will sort of like skip the Haftorahs, as it were. You know, they'll be there to listen to the guy say it, and that's it. And it's kind of interesting because the first half Torah of the year, which is Isaiah 42, 42 and 43, is actually among the most um, well-known and controversial chapters in the book of Isaiah, period. In the Middle Ages, the Jews had to totally familiarize themselves with this to engage in the debates with the Christians. Uh, and now, just for the heck of it, I went online to see Isaiah 42, Jews, and this, and I see the Muslims are all over the place in this, and the Korah, you know, and yet they're in a Darshan for Zich. And the reason is because this is a famous prophecy from Yeshayahu, uh, in which he talks about someone who seems to be a Messianic figure, sort of. Hey, now, as is often the case, our Haftorah marches to its own drummer and omits the beginning of what the Christians regard as the chapters. So if you go to Membez, only a few psikim beforehand, listen to this. This is what precedes our Haftorah. Which, if you will translate into English, you get like a old-fashioned JPS thing. This is my servant who I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I have put my spirit, God says in him. He shall teach the true way to the nations. He will not cry out loud or shout aloud or make his voice heard in the streets. He won't even break a reed. Uh, he'll bring forth the true way. He will not grow dim or bruised till he has established the true way on earth and the coastlands shall await his teaching. Well, obviously the Christians didn't teach it their way, the Muslims teach it their way, and the Jewish people do it their way. But you see, Believe if take it from me, get the oats of a kuchim if this is a subject that interests you, which is online in Hebrew books if you don't have it, and you look up all these medieval disputations in which the Jews were compelled to participate once upon a time in the Middle Ages, Christian Middle Ages, of course. There weren't any Islamic disputations, but there were, or almost none, but uh, there were repeated Christian ones. And the first thing they brought up is Isaiah 42, and this is Yashka, and this is this, and this is that, and... Uh, the Jews say, no, it's Klal Yisrael, and so forth and so on. Uh, and our Haftorah just picks up from there. So the, uh, 
We Jews interpret this very nationalistically. Dehainu, everybody knows. Bereshit Baral Kim Rashi, famous Rashi said, "Bishvil Yisrael she is shikoreshis." That Bereshit means Bishvil Rashis something, right? Bereshit Bishvil something that was Rashis. It could be Bishvil Torah shikoreshis, whatever you want, but Bishvil Bishvil Yisrael shikoreshis. And the idea behind that is that the world was created with a purpose. It may not seem that way when you look around. It doesn't seem necessarily to be a purpose. It's just like a continuous movie that you know what's going to happen next. Now Putin is going to attack Ukraine. Tomorrow Putin could be overthrown. Then China will fight this one. Japan will fight Korea. Israel will fight the PLO. Or maybe there'll be earthquake in Iraq. You know, in other words, it's a movie with new, with endless episodes. And you, do, it's a, you know, it's a contingent story and a continuing narrative. And you don't know where it's going. Maybe if you look in the past, you can kind of see you know, patterns, but they, as we all know, they never quite totally predict the future. So you can't bet money on your prediction. Me, myself, and I, I can offer suggestions the way I think things are going. Sometimes I do that, but I, who knows? I'm not a prophet, you know, and the pundits and all these guys endlessly pontificate and they predict this, that, and the other, and very, very often they're wrong, but that doesn't stop anybody. Let me put it this way. Do you trust the weather report? But you listen to the weather report, you see what I'm saying? Who was it, General Marshall, who said, you know, whenever you go into battle, you have to have a plan. But you always know the plan will fall apart. That's that's how it goes. So when it comes here, we believe that because after all, the Bible, the Chumash, is nothing but the story of a family. It's not a story of a bunch of other families. The Torah can be very ethnocentric or very racist, if you want. What happened to all the Chinese and that, all that kind of stuff? And what happened to all the people in Africa and all that? And, I don't know, Latin America and so forth. You don't get any 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 play. All that happens is the family of Avram, of Abraham. And even not all that, correct? The You know, the Arabs would be angry because Ishmael gets, like, no play hardly throughout the Tanakh. But Yitzhak's descendants do. So the Torah is a, is, is a very single-family-oriented narrative. And what's really interesting is... <clears throat> that there have been times in history where the Gaim resented that. But thanks to the Christian religion, frankly, and to a lesser degree, the Islamic religion, the whole world has gotten wrapped up in um, in our narrative. The only thing is, they really, really don't like the fact that we seem to be a chosen people or beloved of God. Um, it doesn't seem fair to them that God had, makes choices. And if God did make a choice, how come he didn't pick us, they say. You know, if you're Swedish, why didn't God pick the Swedes? If you're Irish, why didn't God pick the Irish? If you're German, why didn't pick the German? Why didn't he pick the damn Jews, you see? But that's what it says. And because you have this resentment factor, so over the course of history, you find that religions which are founded on Judaism, you know, tweaked it in such a way that you can become anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish. So in other words, if you believe in Yashka, so in other words, the world was created for Jesus, something like that, and the Jews, because they reject them, therefore, are, you know, don't 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 count anymore or hate it or something along those lines. Uh, we know that. Now, having said that, the Jewish people and Yeshayahu was Jewish, right? Uh, goes right up and he says, right off the bat, came. He says, Bari Hashemayim Benotem. He goes right into the uh, uh, description of God as a Barishamayim. Notice in the Shamalamaleha, God gives everybody the breath. 
Baruch Lahochimbo, and he goes on to say, Ani Hashem Krosicha B'Tzedek Gedera. I called you out by name. Now we say he's talking about us. I mean, that's undoubtedly who Yeshayo, who, who who's descended, who's a member of the royal family, Behuda. Ani Hashem Krosicha B'Tzedek Gedera. I've called you and taken you by hand. Wow, these are broad statements. I've made you into a bris am, a covenant for the human race, and a light for the nations. Uh, this is the notion of the Jews as a chosen people in the liberal version of that. The Hainu, as Ben-Gurion, those guys. This Reformed Judaism and so forth. Meaning, yes, we are chosen, but we are chosen to be of service. You see, um, in the modern era, when the Jews tried it to uh, blend into Western culture and assimilate to one degree or another um, into um, European culture and society and citizenship in order to get out of the ghettos and get basic human rights. So it was always on the base of a certain quid pro quo. And the idea that you're a separate nation and a chosen people and exceptional status, all the rest of it, is antithetical to saying you're a member of Germany, or you're a member of Italy, or you're a member of England, and so forth. The U.S. is an exception to all this. I, you know, we American Jews don't realize what we have over here, but I'm talking about you know most places. And as a result, what did the Jews would do with the idea of chosen people? Uh, what did chosen? So one way is to do like reform. We're not chosen. You know, we reject that. Uh, what's his name? Oh, and Mordechai Kaplan went to Reconstruction. I was a big Zoppa in him. So we reject the chosen people. But other groups, other parts of the Reformed Conservative and all the rest of us said, oh, we're chosen to be of service to mankind. Get it? We Jews have to live exceptional lives and be of service to mankind. Why? Because it says, Labris Omla Orgoyim. And uh, modern Zionism, political Zionism, uh, especially Ben-Gurion, used to talk all the time about Israel or Lagoyim. And the uh, idea was that they'll turn the state of Israel into a model society. People really believed this 60 years ago. I want you to know, 70 years ago, when Israel became a state, 1948, it's almost 80 years ago, whatever. You know, it really was the idea that Israel would be something different and to have a perfect society in terms of economic relations and political and all this and that and the other. Now, of course, this did not happen. Israel is a country like any other country. It's got its pluses, it's got its minuses. I don't think, I mean, Israel today has the same corruption and stuff as anybody else. However, to be perfectly honest, we're doing better than a lot of other countries. So nobody's got the right to stick their nose down on us. You look around the world, ain't a pretty picture. And compared numerically to a vast majority of the countries, Israel's better off, better than they are. Aren't too many. You know, there are a lot of flaws with Israeli democracy, but at least there's a democracy. There's a lot of flaws with the Israeli economy, but it's better than a lot of other economies and, and so forth. So... You know, it's it, the, the the jury's out, but the notion that Claudius Ross called to a, a grandeur, lifkoch. Um, I mean, to to be or goyim. What does or mean? I mean, understand. I want you to understand this well. I'm going to read the words again. Bori hashemayim v'notayim rokar setzoeho nos neshama l'malo rohochim ba brisalma or goyim. This is paralleling the Genesis account. What's It doesn't mean, I've said this in the past, it doesn't mean that God created light in the sense that, you know, colors and all that business, because that comes later in the Genesis account. 
So, what do you mean, Yehi Or? Is it Or in the, in the sense of, of intelligence? So that means the world is a product of an intelligent design. And not only mean that in the scientific way, which the scientists can point to, it's one, it's what they call the cosmological argument, you know, that, that the, the order and the purpose in the universe indicates that there's a single uh, intelligence behind it. Although that, I understand, is not such a strong, I'm not a philosopher, I'm not, it's not such a strong argument. I think it was uh, Barclay or somebody back in the 18th century who said, me and another guy built a little boat. <laughs> yeah, in other words, the thing works, and two people built it. So on that base, you could have two gods, so to speak. But nevertheless, the general idea of intelligent design is clearly there, leaving aside the cosmological argument. And the, uh, the idea, if it's intelligent design, everything is made for a purpose. So if you tell me, you look at the physics and the universe, and everything works out mathematically and all the rest of it, so why did God do it? Was it just to be a painter and see, you know, we could paint? Doesn't sound like it. Sounds like there's a goal. You understand, if I'm an inventor and I invent something called a bloopus, shmami know that there's a purpose for a bloopus, because otherwise, well, you know, what's the point? Now, maybe it makes a noise when you uh, open a door. I, you know, whatever the point is, there, there's some way that it serves a purpose. So the question is, what does the universe serve to purpose? That's what we're saying over here. And what's clear, interestingly, is that the purpose comes out from Yeshayahu to uh, perfect the human race, and the agent of perfection is Kali Yisrael, because that's what he means when he says, Bris Om Orgoyim. And keep going in the, in the Haftorah. Lifkoach Einayim Ivros, your job is to be opening the blind eyes. Lehotzi Mimazgar Azgir Mibes Kela, Yoshikosha, to take people out of dark dungeons. And even the medieval Mephorshim don't understand this in the sense of social justice, but they understand this in terms of intellectuality, to show the nations the falseness, let's say, of idols or things of that nature. And it goes beyond that. Now, what's interesting is, some of the Farshim say that the blind are the fellow Jews. So you'd say, you know, to, so Lefkoch Einayim Ivros can also refer to somebody who's into Kiruv. You get it? Because you deal with a lot of Jews today, let's say somebody's a Lubavitch Shliach or, a, you know, NCSY or something like that. What What is your purpose? What are you What, what are you going out there? What, what, what are you engaging your time in? And it's just kind of interesting because uh, what you're engaging your time in is, as he puts it over here, uh, you're taking people who are blind and in dark places and showing them light. Go, for example, to uh, out somewhere and uh, be a, a Kira person and get a hold of a young Jewish guy or girl who has no idea what Yiddish guy is about at all, and say, hey, there's something called Shabbos, Mitzvahs, beliefs in God, right and wrong, Ten Commandments, the whole nine yards. And that person discovers this. Now, if they're turned off, that's one thing. But what if they're turned on? As a result of that, the person becomes from, in the sense of being enlightened. I mean, today, nobody becomes from because they put a gun to your head. It's because a person finds these arguments persuasive or this lifestyle persuasive. And so imagine somebody today, I'm sure people listening to this must fall into this category in which you say, you know, when I was young, I never knew about this. I was blind. My parents never taught me about Shabbos or, or any of that stuff. Uh, never learned about it in school. But, you know, this and this happened, that and that happened. And I ran, like I say, into 
somehow I visited the wall at the hotel and somebody picked me up, or I was in the, uh, you know, uh, what do you call or Sameach, or some Chabad guy got a hold of me, or I, you know, it doesn't matter the group, right? It really doesn't. And, you know, they showed me a whole world I know that did not exist. And so what do we call that? They opened up the blind, the eyes that were blind. I simply didn't know this stuff existed. I was imprisoned. A very interesting expression, to take a guy out of jail. Uh, who was it? Ferdinand Sassur, I think. The Swiss guy who says all of mankind is imprisoned in the prison house of language, which is an insight because what it means is that depending on your education and your knowledge of languages and things like that, uh, you know, uh, that's the way you're able to express them yourself. So imagine an uneducated peasant who, if you think about it, knows 200, 300 words. Uh, he can't talk about philosophy or high ideals or art or any of that kind of stuff. Because all he knows, I'm serious, I'm not being funny. All he knows is cow, plow, uh, pain, uh, food. You see what I'm saying? You know, it's a small number of words. Uh, <laughs> I'm laughing. I remember they used to argue in the Knesset. Who was it? Abba Ibn, who was very educated, and Golda Meir, who was not educated. And they used to diss each other. And Abba Ibn said something like, Listen, we all know that you have a grant, that you come from America. All you know is 500 Hebrew words. Why don't you ever use them? <laughs> you know, like that. He was, he was stucking her. Uh, and here we see that the, the Haftorah says, Lahotzi mimaz grasir that you want to liberate someone from being in jail. So if I took an uneducated person, like Pygmalion, and I gave him an education, somehow or other, by the time they came out, I would have liberated someone from a jail. If you want a modern American application of that, imagine you have a kid from inner city, uh, crack mother, no father, you know, everything's all against you. And for one reason or another, you know, I'm sure there are movies about this, uh, let's say... A, a a good family, a white or black, doesn't matter, takes him, this child, and uh, raises them from the time they're a baby in a completely different environment. Let's say what we would call a middle-class environment. That could grow up to be Van Carson. You see what I'm saying? And what did you do? You liberate him from a jail. I, there's no jail in downtown Baltimore or downtown Philadelphia. Well, it kind of is. You see? Me base Kelly Yoshi Koshik. You're taking somebody from a dark dungeon because they're not aware of Yedias. So the biggest blindness is the blindness of Yedias, of not knowing. And when it comes to uh, Judaism, I mean, it's all about Yedias. Now, it's really interesting to me that you can have a lot of different spins on this. The Radak is usually pretty doggone thoughtful when it comes to Yeshayahu because the Radak lived in the time, number one, of the Maimonidean controversies in Provence, and number two, because he lived in Provence, and number two, he was also there at the disputations, the Christian controversies. That's who the Radak was. A very interesting guy. And he he says, why does, he says the Jews themselves, at the time Yeshayahu, were all screwed up theologically, and a lot of them, since they were in Tavodah and you know and I know that the Jews in time Yeshayahu were in Tavodah because he lived in the time of Ochaz and Chizki and all the rest of it, in which the religious situation went extremely in one direction, extremely in the other direction. Under Ochas, he shut down all the yeshivas, closed down all the Yiddishkeit, and people were completely you know, unaware of Judaism and, and were fully exposed to uh, Assyrian pag- paganism, the paganism of Assyria and Ashur. Uh, 
and then if there was a reaction to it under Chizkia, uh, and then it flipped back to Avodazar under Menasha, and the Radak says that the reason the prophet Isaiah keeps repeating this, he, keep, he always refers to Hashem as Bar Shamayim, that in the time of Yeshayo, even though it was Bayis Rishon, theologically things were pretty bad. If you believe in Avodah Zorah, think about what I'm about to say. Listen closely. Suppose I didn't believe in Judaism, I believed in some form of paganism. So paganism is a shot that I believed in a bunch of deities out there. Different ones. Uh, doesn't matter. They could be national, they could be local, they could be weather, it could be anything. So let's say there's 10 gods out there, or 110, doesn't matter. So where'd they come from? You see my point? Where'd they come from? So what you end up saying is like this, they were always there. So once you say there's a whole bunch of different things that are always there, then you say the world was always there. If you believe in a single god, it's still not so easy. You have to be a Maimonides, the Coptist, that once upon a time nothing was there. There was only God. But then you say, well, God was there. But I say, well, God is not counted as part of anything. But you just told me that God was there. So you get into this back and forth, at least within the context of monotheism, rigid monotheism, which is what we believe in. Uh, you know, Yeshmi Ayan and who created the Ayan. However, if you're over there with Zara, you believe Baal, Asherah, Kamoj, this, that, and the other, Ra, Zeus, Jupiter, and so forth, then they always existed. Where did they, where did they always exist? In the world. So Yishma you know, the world was always there. Uh, so the world was always there. The world came from some other area, but it was always there. It came from Sodom source. And many people believed, as I said before, that there is no creator. If the world was always there, there's no creator. That's a radically different way of thinking about reality. I suppose a scientist thinks that way nowadays. That everything was just always there. It never had no beginning. As opposed to the Jewish religion, which says there was a beginning. And that's why the Redox suggests that the prophets, like Yeshua, keep bringing up the idea of Bori this and Bori that. But I'll tell you right now, uh, he goes on to talk again and again about... Um, Saving the blind from their blindness and the deaf from their deafness. Look at the look at the Haftar uh, over here, right? I'll lead the blind people in the past that they never went before. Well, what does that mean? It means I'll show, like I say before, I'll show the Jews collectively, individually, a whole new uh, derech in life, and uh, they'll find that their lives are better as a result of that. There's life of Torah mitzvahs. Anything that was a stumbling block will now be straight, uh, and, and and so forth. And I, I call upon you, the prophet says, you who are deaf and blind. So basically, you have to imagine Yeshayo standing in ancient Jerusalem in front of a whole crowd of people, and he says, I'm speaking to a, a crowd that's deaf, blind, and dumb. And they say, what are you talking about? We're listening to you. And he says, I know you're physically not deaf, and physically not blind, and physically not dumb, but you're morally deaf, dumb, and blind. You're spiritually deaf, dumb, and blind. Because you don't understand the reality. The reality is there's one God out there. You understand a di- an alternative reality. And as long as you understand an alternative reality, Musa is wasted. Do, 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 you fo- do you follow? Does that make sense? There's no point telling me you're doing something wrong. You're not keeping Shabbos, all the rest of it. 
if the person doesn't believe that there's a God there in the first place, or a single God, anyway. Right? You understand? Written large, the human race, if they don't believe that there's a single God and there's, a, and there's an absolute right and absolute wrong, there's no way you're going to tell somebody that they're doing evil, because they're not. There's no God to make something called good or evil. There's just reality, and that leads to calculation, political calculation. Go tell Stalin he's doing something wrong. He don't believe in God. So what do you mean wrong? Who says wrong? Some ethics professor. I'm like, it's hell with him. You know, tell me his name. I'll kill him too. You know, like, like, on what basis do you say that this is terrible, this is right, this is wrong? We believe in an absolute right or wrong, but that's a function of believing, as I say before, that there's a that there's a God who's a, a Bori Olam, Note Shemayim, and Rokar itself, etc. So, and that's why you can have Orgoyim. So in the simple sense, the idea of being a light to the nations doesn't necessarily mean Ben-Gurion's model society. Oh, oh, that would be nice if it was there, but I'm not sure the Jew is never that good at, at anybody else in making a model society. We'll always have the good, the bad, and the and the uh, you know middle, I think. But on the other hand, we we Jews have shown the world that there's an absolute right and absolute wrong, and that uh, certain things you can't do. And you know, for example, killing people for fun is just wrong. Now, according to a lot of other people, why not? If I get my kicks out of shooting you and I can get away with it, so why shouldn't I do it? After all, that's how I get my kicks. Why should I care about your feelings? I mean, really, why should I do that? This gets into questions of ethics and things like that. But then, you know, once you get into questions of pure ethics, divorced from religion, divorced from God, it's variable. You know, it's the lesser of two evils. It's, you know, situational ethics, as they say. And that's why we know many famous philosophers, all the rest of it, were ice virus in their private situation. Uh, boy, it just comes to mind. I don't know why. If you read Frederick the Great, he wrote uh, when he was young, the anti-book against Machiavelli. So from a purely philosophical perspective, he shows Machiavelli was wrong, that the prince is a cynical type person. That's where you need to run a country. But it, then Frederick himself went on to be more Machiavellian than Machiavelli himself. There never was such a cynical person and an atheist who was a ruler of a country. So it's all a matter of tactics. And he goes on to say, this whole parrot, you know, um, is, is like that. As he says, Mi ever kim avdi becherish kemalochi eshlach, mi ever kim ashul ever kevet Hashem. No one is as blind as a servant of God. Now, mind you, the Christians will interpret that way, but we say that the Prophet Shayo is saying that, you know, Claw Yisrael is blind. Uh, it reminds me, I, I, did, I said a couple of weeks ago, I don't know, in the recent past, I remember um, that art scroll bio, wherever it was, a long, long, long ago when the Panavisharov died from dying swift. And I remember he said something along the lines when they were walking the street, I think in England, in London, wherever, and he said, look all these non-from people, you know, isn't it terrible? Dying swift said. And it was. But the, uh, what? He, and you know, and they're making fun of you, whatever it is. And the Panavisharov, as I recall, said like this, no, they're just all sick. And so and he didn't mean that they're mentally sick. He meant they're sick in the sense of our Haftorah today. You know, they're blind. You, you know, can I, me, you and I, listen to this. So I walk down the street and I see a Jew driving on Shabbos. Um, and it's not somebody who used to be from somewhere. Like you know, somebody, I live in Baltimore, you live in uh, Detroit, in uh, LA, in London, wherever it is. You see somebody on Shabbos, you know, or you know, or, or something like that, or eating trafe, you know, restaurant. I mean, are they evil? They're blind. 
What do you mean? They're, they're, they're trapped in the sense of a jail. They don't know. And it's, I don't mean simply they never heard about Tashras, because nowadays probably people heard about things. But that to hear about it isn't the same thing as understanding what it is. Uh, this is the sense of blind. This is the sense of uh, of deaf. Uh, what's the expression? That's talking about idols. But it's also talking about people today, from our perspective, from our perspective, who simply don't get it, that they're doing something wrong. And if you can actually persuade somebody to become from, I mean this in the highest sense. You know, I mean this in, in, the, in, in the most advanced philosophical and enlightened sense. Then they'll they'll be the first to tell you. So you know you they'll use language like this. You opened new vistas for me. You showed me something I didn't know was there before. It's uh it's quite remarkable. And it may be as our prophet says today. Shir Hashem Shachadosh Teilasim Ikzei Arts Yardam Below Yoshvam that the praise of God comes from those who are far away in the in the islands. Now it doesn't necessarily mean over here that they're geographically far away in the islands. Maybe that's what Isaiah is talking about. But I think he's talking about that they're far away from Yiddishkeit. They're far, very far away, but one day they'll sing a song. There's one day they'll come around to it. Our religion, therefore, is based very heavily on the Haftar today. These are major elements in Jewish theology. Uh, he goes on in chapter 43 to talk a little bit more about the history of Klal Yisrael, because after all, we are not, a, the Chumash, as you know, is not a philosophy book. It's a, it's a history book which conveys philosophical messages, which is not identical with a philosophy book. It's, it's a certain type of philosophy book. It's by stories and examples. Um, that is what the Chumash is, correct? Now, um, all this is contained in the uh, Haftarah. I'll say it again. In the Middle Ages especially, oh, the, who is it? what's the name? The Sefer Nitzachon and that guy, uh, Yosef Official and all these other guys used to have to go and debate this, and the Christians would say, why didn't you see it this time about Jesus? And the Jews would say, yes, where does it say Jesus? Don't say anything like that over here. It says, God's chosen one, the Or Ami and the Bris Am, and they would say to them, the ones who had guts, you know, like uh, the Sefer Nitzach, and he says, look here, we are the Orgoim, you Christians, where'd you, get, where'd you get any ideas of monotheism from in the first place? You stole from the Old Testament, you, you took our clothes, and then you added some of the Geisha stuff, the pagan stuff to it, and you know, you created this idea that Jesus is a God, not not even just a great man, but a, but but a God. And the Christians say, "Oh, how can you say this?" And they say the Jews are all terrible and all the rest of it. Uh, today, I think you see less of this. I, look, I don't know. Maybe I haven't hung around the missionaries lately. Uh, you see less of this, but uh, what you? I, I'll tell you something interesting. The modern interpreters uh, of the Bible. Look at Isaiah 42 um, from archaeological uh, lenses, historicist lenses, which they will then claim that this is from the second book of Isaiah. They don't believe there's one uh, Yeshayah who says the whole uh, book from beginning to end. Because the first half is all negative, the second half is all positive. And therefore, they say it's different Isaiahs. That's their way of tweeting it, tweaking it and twisting it, and depriving it, frankly, of its moral power. If you believe that there's one prophet and he's getting all these messages from upstairs and uh, the message says, yes, I created the world, and I didn't make it that I created the world for Yisrael in the sense that they should be a super race, like a Hitler or something like that. But I created that the Jews 
should uh, display exemplary conduct and therefore show the other people the you know, the light of you even the most cynical Jew today will say that when you find somebody because we got a lot of problems in our own ranks if you find somebody who mamish makes a kiddush Hashem I think everybody takes off the head to that I hope you know hope you're not so so cynical that you don't cop that if you see somebody today who really makes a kiddush Hashem uh, here we have the sponsor today Yehuda one day will be a doctor uh, a doctor a from doctor and people know he's a from doctor and you know he saved someone's life or this and the other it's a kiddush Hashem uh, it's not to be laughed at and then if they ask the guy he says then why do you wear that yarmulke and all the rest of it you don't know where that conversation will lead uh, so the Haftorah calls forth the um, how to put it the main purpose behind the, 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 the story of creation you can read Parshish Breshish and know the stories and that's good too uh, at one level or another but when it's all finished you say and why did Hashem create man and Adam and Eve and all the rest of it uh, which we understand to mean that if you want to know the reason for Parshish Breshish you gotta wait till Lech Lecha. That's that's what we see, right? Mankind screwed up under Adam and Eve. They screwed up in the Dora Mabel. They screwed up in the Dora Flaga. So Avram came along and they got it right. I, Avram, didn't convert the whole world. It's a, it's, it's a work in progress. <laughs> it's a work in progress. We believe that, you know, we're doing work in progress, which we say three times a day in the second half of the Olenu prayer. Just go look it up and you'll see yourselves what the Jewish ideal is. All right, I've run over my time a little bit. But uh, I wanted to make that point, and I am appreciative that one of Gabi's, Gabi Rosenblum's um, Chaverim from school thought about him, as he said, when he saw in his show, wherever he was in New York, people carrying on on the Hakafos, and the thought of a classmate who died tragically a year or two ago. Two near, is it two years now? Three years? I don't know. It's, a, it's, a, it's quite remarkable. And... Uh, was moved to want to uh, to commemorate this with a Dvar Torah today. So uh, he's a Chobar. Thanks a lot, Yehuda. So with that, I can only say that I wish everybody a good week. It's probably in the week. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.